at a few weeks ago, and we're going to continue as we take a look at uh, tonight. You'll get a special um, look at the book of Romans. At the great statement of America, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they were endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, among these being life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Paul, as he has written this huge letter to the Roman church, it's probably in the winter of 56 AD. We know that he is in Corinth with a friend who is an elder by the name of Gaius. He is writing Tertius, who takes the notes, sends his greetings at the end of this letter. He's never been to Rome, though he's a Roman citizen. And as he's getting ready to go to the heart of the capital of the imperial decadent Rome, that he writes and he says what God has done, that the Jew and the Gentile are both now saved through the Jewish Messiah Jesus and all nations. And then, which Paul always does, he goes to the practical. Paul cannot just lay out this great theological statement and then everybody go, heavy, heavy. What he does is, here's how you live your life. And tonight we take a look at what I would call a tough issue. A tough issue I like to periodically preach about. These are areas where Christians who love the Lord and believe that the Bible is the Word of God are free to disagree as long as this is our final court of appeal. You'll have your opinions and I'll have the right ones and we'll be sharing those as we take a, a look of those. Americans are obsessed no longer with life. You live in a culture of death in many ways. Whether it is the dehumanizing of people from the pornography industry, right down here in our backyard, and we pray we have people attending here that are coming out of that horrible swamp. We have the dehumanizing of people through the violence of film, and a lot of you involved in the industry as well as the video games. Abortion on demand. If somebody is sick, go ahead, just let them die. But I'll tell you what Americans are obsessed with, liberty. And particularly personal freedom to pursue happiness. No culture on this planet spends more time or money trying to feel good than we Americans. And the question is, for us who are Christians and Americans, we have this freedom. How far are we allowed to pursue happiness or pleasure? Of course, you know, in the Greek, the word for pleasure, hedone, hedonistic, we get it. Not necessarily a bad word. It just means feeling good physically. Makarios is closer to happiness, kind of mental. When Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, and the Greek translation of that, makarios, a blessed, a happy state. The question is, well, what are we free to do and to not do? Well, Paul summarizes two great freedoms. You are free, first of all, as a Christian, to do anything. Thing you want. This is absolutely true. This is the scandal of what the Apostle Paul says. The law is flat out gone. You are free to do anything you want. But Paul says, I would never be free to destroy myself or destroy Christ. And the second thing is, not only are you free to do, is you are free to not only do what you want as you are convicted, but to love your brother and sister. And those who you do things that are, can make them stumble, Paul says, why would you do that? Well, how can I be free to be me and be around a bunch of people who disagree with me? And the answer is, very carefully. All right, you got your Bible? Turn with me over to Romans and uh, to this, first of all, to the 14th chapter. Page 924 in your pew Bible. And verses 13 
down to the end of the chapter. By the way, that uh, the end of the 12th chapter, and next week we're going to finish up looking at Romans with the question of how, what is a Christian response to evil? Paul will uh, address both personally and uh, what about as the state, as we are involved in the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan and Islamic, you know, just psycho-terrorists and all the evil is out there. What about evil when Jesus said, turn the other cheek? How do you do that as a government? We'll take a look at that next week. But Paul wraps up here, and the Gospels have not been written yet. Do you know that when he writes this? Paul is writing this probably around 56. The Gospel of Mark, probably, the first one written, was probably written about 60 A.D., and yet you see all the teachings of Jesus in the midst of this. Because those who were still alive who walked with him and said, and Paul learned from the risen Christ. Look what it says in verse 13. Let us therefore no longer pass judgment on one another. Isn't it good that the church quit judging each other long ago? No. Um, but resolve instead never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of another. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. But it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. Now, he's talking about two things here, which we saw in the previous chapter. One, about what day do you worship on? And second of all, where do you eat? The meat in Rome, you know where you got it? You got it from your local temple. They would bring in the animals and offer them as sacrifices. It was like uh, McZeus. You would go down to. And they would bring in all the animals. They'd sacrifice them to a pagan god. And even fertility worship rites going on around it. And then, by the way, you can get your bacon over here on the side. That's the only place you got your meat. And some people said, I will not eat meat that is offered to a false god. And Paul said, I will take a whopper. But it's cool for me, but it's not for them. Then he goes on to say, 15. If your brother or sister is being injured by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. Do not let what you eat cause the ruin of one for whom Christ died. What he's saying is, come on, I know you're free, but do you really need the burger and the fries that bad? He's saying you need to love them. So do not let your good be spoken of as evil. The kingdom of God is not food and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The one who thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and has human approval. Let us then pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. He says it again. Everything is indeed clean. See, he's a Presbyterian. He says indeed. But it is wrong for you to make others fall by what you eat. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that makes your brother or sister stumble. The faith that you have, have as your own conviction before God. Blessed are those who have no reason to condemn themselves because of what they approve. But those who have doubts are condemned if they eat because they do not act from faith. Here's a great driving verse. For whatever is not done in faith is sin. Now, Paul is echoing this great truth that pleasure is good. And three real quick propositions before we take a look at smoking and drinking and R-rated movies. Can I smoke? Can I drink? Can I go see films that are adult content? I don't mean the adult industry. Let's assume that we know that pornography is wrong. Let's assume that, okay? But what is pornographic? Some people the way come in here and tell me the way some of our people dress are pornographic. And I said, well, I'm sorry for the way I look. They said, not you, not you. Uh, and so what is porneos, which means sexual immorality? 
Proposition one, all pleasure is from God. God created all things. Satan has never had an original thought in his mind. He is the evil vandal of the universe, the great accuser of the brethren. All he can do is run around and ruin and pervert what God has done. You and I were born with all the apparatus to enjoy the pleasures of God. In fact, the visual, hearing music like this up here and a friend coming alongside and giving you a hug or a hot cup of coffee or, you know, or the great gift of God, a Krispy Kreme or something like that, that God wants you to enjoy or walking on the beach. In fact, the rabbis had a saying, you've heard me say before, we will give an account for every blessing we refuse to enjoy. And what they meant by that was, if you choose not to enjoy a blessing that God has given, don't call yourself holy. Call yourself in the middle of a spiritual temper fit. Have you ever seen children, and if you don't have any, get some, uh, just for sermon illustrations, but if you're around children... And if you're volunteering, you'll notice toddlers very often, you offer them something good, and when they're in such a bad mood, they don't want it. Even if it's a thing they've been crying out for. And you and I, the difference between us and toddlers is that we have wrinkles. That's the only difference. But sometimes we want something, and then God offers it, and we say, no, I'm not going to enjoy it. Why? Because, God, I'm so upset. Well, there comes a place where that's just flat-out rebellion. Do you really think that all the cares and worries in the world by you not enjoying what God has given in this world, somehow that stops the cares and the worries? No. The Bible says that God wants us to to enjoy the good things. At that right hand are pleasures forevermore. In thy presence is happiness unspeakable, the psalmist said. So, first of all, is that pleasure comes from God. Second of all, proposition two, our desires are whacked. They are corrupted. They are victims of sin. That means the desire for pleasure has gotten so out of control. Just like the desire to be approved. Do you know why you have this desire to be famous or to have somebody recognize what you have done? Because it's a twisted side of your real good desire of someday when Jesus says, well done, good and faithful servant. To be praised by somebody you want to please, this is a good thing. To be praised by the crowd is having a misdirected hunger. And so our corruption, our desire, has taken over. In fact, pleasure is a confusion between the ends and the means. Pleasure in itself is destructive. Living for the fame or getting high or whatever it is always will kill. Idolatry destroys not only the worshiper but the idol itself. Epithumia. Great word. You know, epidermis is outside an outside desire. And it was used of the Greeks of the sense of, and in the New Testament, of lust. You hear the word lust, the Anglo-Saxon word. Epithumia was really an image of an animal that was caught in a trap and eating its own leg off. What it was is the Greeks realized that these desires, we consume ourselves by trying to be so impassioned to them. And I tell you, there are so many lives that are out there that pleasure, which is a good thing from God, as well as achievement. I've seen so many great women now, so sad. They're just following men in this, sacrificing on the altar of career success, their family, their friends, and their health and their lives. I mean, how much money is enough? The difference between a $100 meal and a $200? $100. That's the difference. At some point, your palate can't taste anymore. And then also this desire for this insatiableness. 
the spring of 1509, an 18-year-old boy came to the throne of England by the name of Henry VIII. Henry VIII was one of the most naturally talented and gifted people that ever came to the throne. England hoped that finally a new renaissance, a golden age, would come. He was a musician. Most scholars think that green sleeves that you sing every Christmas, he probably wrote the tune to that. No one knows for sure. That he was an athlete and he had a great mind. He spoke five languages by the time he was 18. The only thing that Henry had a problem with was with his desire. Before he would die, 40 years later, England would be in ruin. He first of all had a notorious desire for women. He first of all married Catherine of Aragon. It was a marriage they liked. He wanted to get rid of her. But he started sleeping on the side with Mary Boleyn. She had a child. And then not only Mary was enough, but he saw Mary's sister, Anne Boleyn. He wanted to divorce Catherine. The Roman Catholic Church said no. So Henry VIII cut off relationships, became the head of a new church, the Church of England, married her. He then got tired of her, so he had her head cut off, and Jane Seymour and four wives after that. Like they say, what Henry VIII said to his wives, I won't keep you long. You know, and what he had this desire, and sleeping around the side, he was a sex addict. Have you seen his uniform that looks so large? That's when he was in his Pilates days. He gained so much weight, he literally couldn't make it up to the castle. They had to put him in a cage by chains and take him on the outside. He was too fat to get up the stairwell. He was just a slave to his desires. And he could have had this incredible rule and reign, but except for that. And ladies, you aren't off the hook either, praise God. Cleopatra VII, born 70 years before the birth of Christ. She was the end of the Ptolemies, the rulers, the... Greek Egyptians within Egypt. She not only bet on the wrong boy when she slept with Mark Antony against Octavius and Julius Caesar. Octavius, as we know the most about her from him, so you got to be careful because they probably painted a really bad picture of her. But she was a sex addict. She was a nymphomaniac. She lost her virginity at 12. When she became the queen of the Nile of Egypt, she kept up to 100 men just for her own personal stud farm in the back. And she was just obsessed with this. She took her life by the age of 39 years old. Desire is good in itself, but if you don't yield it to the Holy Spirit, that it becomes an evil. So, the proposition three is not only one is God made all desire, two, our desires are way out of portion, but three is the more that we yield these to the Lord. And Paul summarizes how to, with each other. Turn over to 1 Corinthians these six chapters on page 929 and see what Paul says about this first everything is right for the Christian it is legal but a real Christian in the sense of not a new law but someone who knows the Lord and loves the law does not want to sin look what he says here in uh, verse 12 all things are lawful for me but not all things are beneficial all things are lawful me for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. His point being, we no longer don't touch, don't taste like the kosher laws with the rabbi Saul of Tarsus was raised on because God is against that. Now, all things are open, but you would not do something that is sinful to the Lord. I am not going to become a slave of anything, he says. And so that brings about this question. We are forgiven, but we're not forgiven to do self-destructive things. And you really don't want to. All things in moderation. 
kind of a misphrasing of one of the, the Proverbs in that sense, but very true. We're allowed to have things as long as things don't dominate us. Jesus said a great insight into the human person. He was really smart. I don't know if you know that. It's like he's the son of God. But as he was, he said, whoever sins becomes a slave of sin. Sin is the, is the actual rebellion. But once you've become rebelled against God, you are no longer free to stop rebelling. You are a slave to it. You're free to step off of any cliff. You're never free not to turn gravity off. And Jesus said the only one who can set you free is the Son. So if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. So we're allowed to do things. Well, what about smoking? Uh, Some years ago, I was uh, a representative to uh, the Christian Reformed Church back in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And uh, most of them are very Dutch there. I mean, very Dutch. I I came in under the name Van Brewer. I put on the front of this. But uh, they were voting on whether to allow women elders into the church or not. And they were on the floor. I'll never forget this. Talking about, you know, the world is coming in. If you allow women elders in, next thing it goes to the deity of Christ. And they said, you know, we've got to love the Lord. They stop and they took a beer cigarette break. I'm not kidding. And I'm going, I don't know. I think the world is coming in. I don't know. Uh, because for the Dutch, tobacco is, is not any kind of a sin. It's just a part of life or alcohol. Well, the question are, are we allowed to sin? No. Are we allowed to smoke? I think yes. As long as there's a reason for it. I find it uh, interesting. And the question is, is smoking right? I told you before a few weeks ago, I favored Charles Spurgeon. He was the Englishman, uh, reformed, even though he was Baptist. And he loved to smoke a cigar. And he hated being around the American Christians because they were so uptight about tobacco. And one time he was smoking a cigar, they said, do you think that's a sin? He said, no, not as long, long as it's done in moderation. They said, what do you think moderation is? And he said, one at a time. <laughs> well, I think tobacco in itself is not evil. I find it very hard to conceive of though how smoking cigarettes or even chewing, and I used to, uh, I chewed after uh, high school when I was driving a truck. Do you know why? After you get done throwing up, you cannot fall asleep. It's just nicotine to your head. And when I started dating Carolyn, that came to a real abrupt end, real fast. My grandfather was so addicted to Copenhagen. I remember in Christmas, as a little boy, he, always, he was easy to buy for. He always bought him a sleeve of Cope, you know, a bunch of Copenhagen. He took up smoking to try to quit chewing, and he couldn't. He was that addicted to it. Have you ever seen Sigmund Freud, the last pictures of him? You know, a cigar smoker? You know, he died of mouth cancer, and he tried to cut his own tumor out with a knife. Half of his head is gone. What cigarettes do, and again, we are free in that sense, but for the life of me, if you're smoking, stop it. Get help. Get professionals or whatever in that sense. Don't ruin your body in that sense. Well, it's not a sense of trying because I don't smoke or drink or chew or date girls who do. You know that old saying? But it's the sense of being stewards of the body. Not like God is angry. Hey, put that butt out. What are you doing? But because God loves, I think he does say, what are you doing? What about drinking? Jesus himself made water into wine. I know my Baptist friends think it was non-alcoholic, but I want to tell you as a Jew, I promise you, it was converted. The Old Testament says, God gives wine to cheer the heart, Solomon says. Paul said to Timothy, drink a little wine for your stomach, it is good. It was part of everyday life. 
And I think there is a freedom to have alcohol. And you and I both know there is no drug that has ever hit this planet that has destroyed more lives, more lives than alcohol. I cannot tell you the lies that I have dealt with. Crack addicts, cokeheads, sometimes do not have the problem of getting off of cigarettes. By the way, nicotine has a greater addiction than heroin and alcohol. Alcohol itself is, in itself can be a lovely thing, a glass of wine or a beer in that sense. But what Paul is saying, sure you are free, but are you free to make others stumble? Carolyn's father, who is a recovering, and any of you who have gone through AA, the word is recovering. I mean, I pray for Mel Gibson right now. You know, he falls off the wagon. I mean, Mel, talking about teeing it up for them to knock it down your throats and taking a stand for Christ in that sense. Robin Williams, hasn't had a drink for 12 years. He's back into rehab. I asked Carolyn's father, who was an alcoholic. If he hadn't been thrown into jail, he was such a street drunk, he would have died. And he dried up and his life got on. And I asked him because there's a new theory out there now that an alcoholic can go back to drinking. And he said something to me. He said, if you were truly an alcoholic, you would never even try. You would never. How do you know if you're an alcoholic? When one drink is too many and a hundred is not enough. His best friend who dried up with him at the same time after 15 years went back and tried. He's having a tough time in life. Went back to alcohol and they found him dead. He drank himself to death. Alcohol in this world is awash in booze. And I think that definitely, you know, there is kosher wine. It's part of God can use it. We just have to be sensitive to others. Do you know why we serve grape juice we're here? It's not because that we're against alcohol as Presbyterians. But it's because it's being sensitive to all the alcoholics that we have. That's why we serve grape juice. So I think that God gives a freedom as long as you know for yourself and being sensitive to others in that way. Well, what about, so that, that's consumatory behavior. Well, the, the question is in that way, well then, how do I know what is right for me? Well, what Paul says, here's a formula. What is beneficial to me and in the freedom I have in Christ and what is loving to my brothers and sisters. Do you want to have the most neurotic life on earth? Yes, pastor, tell me, how can I have that? Make all your decisions this way. What do they think? You want to ruin your life? I don't care who they is. Make it the church. Make it your family. Make it your friends you hang with. Make it the world. If you make decisions on the basis of what do they think. And the second one is close to destroying your life. I live for me and me alone. You and I are free to make the decisions that the Holy Spirit guides and leads us to do. But if we are in love, we don't just say, well, I'm free to do this. Who cares about you? I mean, I am free in Christ to come up here, light up a cigar, and pop a bud in Christ. Heck, let's think about that right now. Uh, but, but why would I do that? To show that I am free? What, do, what does that do in anything? And we have to be very loving in that sense. Love is what drives us. Well, what about films and movies and R-rated movies, particularly that those of you that are involved in the industry. By the way, you know the difference between kosher wine and regular wine is about a weekend. Uh, and as far as the grape juice uh, converting, it takes a long time in that way. And, and God will come alongside in this whole idea of transformation, of fermentation. What God uses in our life is why it's the symbolic, the, the vineyard of Christ, that God is trying to transform us, as we saw last week. Well, I think 
there are age-appropriate imageries. First of all, I think the moment that I think there are some R-rated films that have more of a biblical message than some of the G-rated films that come out, an actual biblical message. The trouble is with imagery, as you know, you can't argue with it. An image is not like a thought-through argument. That's why I pray for so many of you in the industry that good images would come out. Violence in itself can be so addictive and porneos in the sense of lust of violence. How far can we go? We might as well just get down to Rome. They kill people for entertainment visually. So you could watch another person die and breathe their last. Why did they do that? Because they were a bored, dying, hedonistic culture. And we were getting so close to that. Because you've got to keep upping it. Likewise, the question of sexuality. Well, how high up can your dress be? How low cut can it be? And I will say, some of you ladies, and I know that the status, the style today is the hip slut. I know that. But you've got to be thinking, have mercy on your brothers. I will just say that. So how do I make this statement? Is First of all, how do I know what to do and see and not see? First of all, what is the effect of watching that film on you? And what do you find out about that? And you know every time you buy a ticket, you're voting. Vote wisely. And not just for cheesy teletoon G-rated stuff out there. I remember my kids were growing up. I used to take them because of the age they were back in the 80s to My Little Ponies. I was poking my eyes out, you know, <laughs> just going, okay, I, I repent, I quit. Uh, well, sure, well, I think that children. And might I say also, any of you that are parents or your babysitting friends, I cannot believe the violent films that people take their children to and not think that's making an impact. You know why? Why we're getting such an ice-in-the-veins culture is we have so dumbed ourselves down to anything shocking us anymore. We have got to be sensitive about that. Can you be edgy in a film and still glorify God? Yes, in an appropriate way. We have coming up uh, at the end of October, uh, Oz Guinness, one of the great minds in the world, is going to be here speaking on evil and the producer, the director of The Exorcism of Emily Rose is going to be here and we're going to be looking at it. The question is, is that a Christian film or not? And the question is, how can we really decide what is Christian and not? Well, I think a Christian film, first of all, what glorifies God, what speaks to the values of the Bible, and what is appropriate for the people that are going in to see that. Well, how do I know what to do? Faith and hope and love. Paul said right here in Romans, if you can't go see it in good faith, you can't go see it. Even if it's all right. Because if you think you're sinning, and you say, I'm going to sin anyway, even if it wasn't a sin, that shows what's, what's with your heart. Now, we have to be careful because we've got to reprogram our over-swollen or under-swollen consciences. Very often we have legalistic just scar tissue in there from people saying you'll never be good enough, and so you've got to obey the law. And it, we've got to need the Holy Spirit to wash that out. But if you think I shouldn't go see this, then don't go see this. If you think I shouldn't have alcohol, then don't have alcohol. If you think I shouldn't have any kind of tobacco, then don't have tobacco. You make it in faith. Paul, by the way, does say those that don't taste and touch or do things, the more legalistic, he calls them the weaker brothers and sisters in the faith. 
He doesn't say they're greater in faith. He says it's really offensive because they're weak still in their faith. And he calls upon those that feel freedom to be sensitive to those of less faith. What Faith and hope. What are you living for? What am I living for? Am I living for just the next buzz? Am I living for just the next thing kind of like because life is so miserable? At least, you know, comfort food, comfort experiences, get through the day out of a little pleasure. Now, there's a time that pleasure is great. But there's also another time where it's become a false god. And that it becomes our hope. Just one more high, whatever that high is. Faith and hope. And we make decisions on the basis of love. Wanting someone else's highest welfare. You don't need to like them. You don't need to agree with them. You just want them to grow more into the image of Christ, whatever it is. Well, you and I are called to fight next to each other. It is a spiritual frontier out there. You know who run, won the West? It wasn't the Jesse James and the flashy guns. It was the faithful men and women in their wagons coming out here to California and along the way just stopping his families and turning wilderness into farmland and moving ahead. It wasn't the flashy superstar. You know who God needs in this spiritual frontier that you and I live in? Not the fancy guns up front, though that's necessary at times, but just women and men and even young boys and girls that walk with Him and go into the middle of this wilderness and plant the seeds of good faith and good hope. And you can tell somebody by someone's character, by how they think about others. In 1836, this little thing took place called the Alamo. Texas Battle for Independence gathered together a bunch of Texans and, of course, you know, Davy Crockett and Jim Bowie and Colonel Travis. And they were surrounded because General Antonio Lopez de Santa Ana, which Santa Ana is named after, a very tough, vicious, but a very good general, Lopez was coming up to surround to stop this rebellion in Texas. And as they surrounded the Alamo and they realized that they were in trouble, they sent one person, they thought, to go get help. And his name... You've probably heard of him as John Bonham. John Bonham made his way, shot his way out, was wounded, got over to another fort and begged them to send reserves to come and to help them. And they said, we can't afford to do that. We'll be there in two weeks. And he said, it will be too late. They will all be dead. And they said, we are sorry. We cannot go. And you know what John Bonham did? He fought his way back into the Alamo to die with him. Why would he do that? They were his friends. I am called to come alongside you and fight through this wilderness and stand by you. And the great news is we have a victor who fought his way as we were lost in this broken world, Jesus Christ. And he fought his way through our penalty on the cross and through hell out of the grave to next to glory. And he's coming back for us someday. And he says as we come next to him to have the freedom that we have in Christ. I do pray that every one of us in here that we know tonight when your head hits the pillow, pillow that God is not taking a list. Are you a better boy and girl than a bad boy and girl? That in Christ you are forgiven, that you are free. Celebrate that freedom. And I also pray that we have so much love in here that we would never use our freedom to make somebody else stumble. Don't let them set the agenda. I'm not saying that. I'm saying to reach out in the way that Christ has loved you. Hey, if you're struggling with an addiction 
or you're hooked or enslaved or in bondage, whatever you want to say, get some help. It's not, it's not a sin to be enslaved. In fact, probably the only sinful thing is trying to fight it out on your own. Christ always calls us to come together. Come forward and have one of our prayer people pray for you. If you need, go get some professionals. God is in the business of transforming lives. And if the Lord has given you faith that you have freedom to do a lot of things, well, enjoy. But make sure you do it with the love and the glory for a holy God and the people He loves so much. Therefore, we are free in Christ. But I will never let my freedom enslave me And Paul said, I will never use my freedom to make another stumble. Good advice. Amen? Let's pray, shall we? Great God, I thank you for all the pleasures of this world. Lord, I thank you that the promise of the new heaven and the new earth, that Lord, you love your physical creation. And God, we're not going to be disembodied spirits floating through space forever, but Lord, we're going to be given perfect bodies someday when your son returns. And that, God, we will experience joys and wonders and sights and colors we haven't even dreamt of yet, God. And I thank you for the good things you have given in this world. Lord, I also thank you that we're wise enough that Satan, we know his ways. We're not ignorant of his clever schemes. And, God, how he twists and perverts things. And, the Lord, that we can so fight amongst each other. Lord, I pray that for any that are in here, for all of us, God, you'd give us the freedom by your love to know we're accepted and set us free from the addictions of this world. And God, help us to love people when people ask, how can you have such joy that we can point them to the Savior? Thank you, Lord. Thank you for all your love. For your sake we pray. Amen.